All right, so Psalms chapter 90. Please uh, find your place there either on your Bible apps or on your Bible because we, although we have just one verse to read, we're going to look at it in context of the whole of this uh, particular chapter. Psalms verse 90, or chapter 90, verse 12. Psalms 90, uh, verse 12. I've titled this message, Say Yes to Wisdom. Yes to Wisdom. Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, out of the um, New King James Version. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The New Living Translation reads this way. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And then I like Young's translation too. We're going to use a word in this in uh, our, our message this morning, uh, the word aright. To number our days aright, let us know. And we bring the heart, and, and we bring the heart to wisdom. That's Young's translation. To number our days aright, let us know. And we bring the heart to wisdom. I want you to imagine, if you will, with me, um, that you have a bank account that credits your account each morning with $86,400. How many of you would really enjoy that? Yeah. Every morning, $86,400 appears in your account, and it, it, but it carries over no balance day to day. Every evening, it deletes whatever part of that balance you failed to use during the day, right? So what are you going to do? I know what I would do. Every morning, I would be down at the bank drawing out every red cent, <laughs> right? How many of you, I mean, in 11 or 12 days, you're going to be a millionaire, and it just keeps going, and, and that would just be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? And yet, we don't think about this uh, in, in light of, of what we want to talk about today, which is each of us has such a bank, and it's a bank of time. Every morning, it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night, it writes off as lost whatever that uh, we failed to invest or use for good purpose. It carries over no balance. It allows no overdraft. And each day, it, it opens a brand new account with 86,400 seconds. And each night, it burns the remains of the day. If you've failed to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There is, there is no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. You must live in the present on, the, on today's deposits and invest it to derive the utmost from it, right? I want us to gather really two things from this passage. I want us to see that it is a request made here that is a necessary request. A necessary request. And then I want us to see also that it is a purposeful request. A necessary request and a purposeful request. Why then would it be necessary to be taught the number of our days aright? And I think it's quite clear as we think about it because... By our very nature, we do not live in the truth of these things. We and the psalmist who wrote these words need God to bring us to the truth 
uh, of this, this reality of, of time and bring it home to us even today. The people of God in, in uh, the days of Moses were uh, living in the wilderness and they soon discovered that some 15,000 of their friends and family and neighbors were dying annually in the wilderness. 15,000 out of a community of faith that were going into eternity. And you wouldn't have thought that that thing alone would have been enough to cause men and women to understand the brevity of their lives and the, in, in light of the eternity of God. But it wasn't. The fearfulness of, of mortality impressed itself on that whole nation, and yet still they lived as if the moment in front of them was more important than the eternity ahead of them. And into that, the psalmist brings these words. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. General Booth, who started the Salvation Army, was asked by a reporter one time, how do you think it is that God has made such use of you since you are a fairly insignificant figure. <laughs> and he replied this way, Jesus Christ has all of me. Amen. Jesus Christ has all of me. The context in which the text that we have read is grounded is within the framework, first of all, of the eternity of God. And if you were to open your Bibles again to Psalms 90, you would notice there, beginning at the first and second verse, these words. The Lord, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, God was when nothing else was, he was God when the earth was nothing and the world was nothing more than chaos. And if you look at the fourth verse there, you'll see that while a host of days and nights it takes for us to make up a thousand years, and there's none in the room that will see that come to pass, but a host of days and nights that it takes to make up a thousand years, to God, that space of time has not even been a whole night, according to what's written here. For a thousand years, the psalmist says, in your sight, he says, are like the watch of a night. Now we can talk a little bit about that. The watch of a night was, you know, those who were watchmen were given these, these hours to watch out and to make sure that the, uh, the people were safe, whether it was a walled city or a city building walls to protect itself, and, and they were still out in the open, there were watchmen placed strategically who would watch for three-hour increments, just three-hour increments, because they didn't want someone to fall completely asleep and uh, they'd be overtaken by the enemy. So these watches were in three-hourly increments. And the psalmist says, God, that's what a thousand years is for you. <laughs> a three-hour increment. This, of course, is vast beyond our ability to comprehend, but it's foundational to a Christian worldview. It starts with God and the glory of the fact of His eternalness, His eternity. 
And within the context of the text is the fact here of the brevity of our life in the light of the eternalness of God. And when you think about mankind as, as managed to compress into a thousand years of human history, it's incredible. And really, if you even think about the last 50 years or the last 20 years of your life here on the planet, Michelle was just talking a moment ago about uh, leaving a message behind, and I had almost completely forgotten about answering machines. What a pain that was, wasn't it? And now it's on your phone and you're walking around with these little computers. What has happened in just the brevity of time and, and any reading of history at all points, the rise and the fall of empires and, and the emergence of, of, of the, and, and the fading of human philosophies and, and human glorious moments and the obliteration of great dynasties. Just think for a moment with me about the Caesars and, and their proud and loud voices as they commanded the allegiance of men and women and as they urged their citizens to bow before them, and now their voices have long since been silenced. Their grand edifices have been bowed and buried beneath mountains of rubble. And in the light of the brevity of, of human existence and the eternity of God, the psalmist is saying to us, through this passage, first of all, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what he's saying to us here is that as we read through this whole psalm, Psalm 90, he's saying to us, teach me to go through my life estimating my time in the light of eternity. Teach me how to live my life in the light of eternity, not in the light of this moment. One of the great theologians of our time, Paul Simon, He wrote these words in a song entitled, Flowers Never Bend and with the Rainfall. Flowers Never Bend with the Rainfall. It's in the second verse, and you'll remember it, some of you who are as ancient as me. No matter if you're born to play the king or pawn, for the, thi for the line is thinly drawn between joy and sorrow, so my fantasy becomes reality. And I must be what I must be and face tomorrow. And so I'll continue to pretend that my life will never end and that flowers never bend with the rainfall. In other words, it's as futile for us to believe that death is not the destiny of every man for the statistics show that one out of every one dies, right? And it's as futile for us to believe that as it is for us to believe that, you know, the autumn breezes that begin to blow on us soon will just bend the flowers a bit. But when the snows come or the cold comes, they will stand up right again and bloom. We can live in an illusion like this, but it will not be true. It fits us at times to think and to live in the illusion of the moment. But the psalmist is saying, let us live our life measuring it in the light of eternity. Let us, let us live each moment not thinking about just the moment, but thinking about what it means for eternity. That's wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's possible for us to, to believe 
this, since we live in this illusion, it's possible for us to believe and, and to say out loud to ourselves that, you know, everyone else will drink too much and drive, but not me. Everyone else will fall into this trap, but not me. I can do this or that. Because we are living in the illusion of that moment and not in the light of eternity. And that's why it's possible for us to walk through graveyards. And, and though we see those dates edging ever closer to our beginning, <laughs> that we lose sight of it. Just as the Israelites had those funerals every year for those who left and not really see the big picture of what eternity means and what our mission is in the moment. Teach us to number our days aright. I think Young's translation, putting that word in, is interesting because it reminds us that we're not called to see this as a mathematical request. This is not the psalmist saying, help me to count, Lord. <laughs> you know, help me to know that Tuesday comes after Monday and, and so on and so forth and that I would be able to multiply the number of years that I have been on the planet. No. He's not saying it even in an actuarial request here that he's not suggesting here that we somehow or another that, that he, he might be brought to understand and calculate the statistics of survival. No, the key uh, word, aright, teach us to number our days aright. In other words, teach me to recognize that the great span of God's providential care is that which gives substance and foundation and meaning to my existence right now. That's why I want to live in light of eternity, because it gives substance and meaning to this second of life and this moment of life that I have right now. It reminds me that I'm not an orphan, and, and, and that I, I, I don't live in an age of no tomorrows. That no matter what happens, if I exit the planet before I finish this message, I still have a tomorrow. I still have an eternity. And, and here's the bottom line, and I hope you take this away with you today. Every, for every seed you sow is not only grounded in time, but it has eternity stamped on it. Yes, I often think about my church family growing up and, and how different individuals, key people in, in my life that have imprints and fingerprints on my life, they, they live eternally through me, through my ministry, that what they did, how they loved, how they cared about me and the rest of the church family and the examples that they set. Every seed that you sow is not only grounded in time, but it has eternity stamped on it. How do we gain a heart of wisdom? What do we need to do in order to gain a heart of wisdom? Well, it doesn't come about as a result of calculation. It comes about as a result of transformation. And where then is the heart of wisdom grounded? Where do we find the beginnings for having a heart of wisdom? Well, we have to turn over to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, right? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not a servile fear whereby we're living in the days waiting for something dreadful to happen if we get out of line. It's a filial fear that is not uh, is, is like a son to a father, daughter to a father or, or mother, a child of a, a, you know, a parent. And that fearing is, is not so much their fear that if I step out of line, my dad is going to you know, level the playing field <laughs> with me. But it, it becomes, as, as you learn the love and, and growing up in your family, it becomes, I, I'm, I don't want to do what I'm thinking to do because it will hurt my father. It will hurt my mother. It will break their heart to know that I have disregarded my upbringing and, and the things that they have shown me in the way of love because I'm walking in the way of rebellion. It is that kind of a fearful walk. I do not want my father to be ashamed of me. 86,400 seconds each day. Are you living in the light of eternity? I want to invite our worship team to come. What value have you placed on time? To realize the value of one month, ask the mother of a premature baby. To realize the value of one week, ask the editor of a weekly newspaper. To realize the value of one day, ask a daily wage laborer who's struggling to feed his kids. To realize the value of one hour, ask two people who are newly in love and they're waiting to meet each other. (laughs) To realize the value of one minute, Ask the person who missed the train. To realize the value of one second, ask the person who just recently avoided an accident. To realize the value of one millisecond, ask the person who won the silver medal at the Olympics. To realize the value of a nanosecond, read today's Wall Street Journal and consider the war between Apple and Intel. This moment that we are living in right now is our moment to say yes to God and yes to God's wisdom, to living a life in the light of eternity, to living light with the understanding that everything that I do has eternal meaning, not just this moment's meaning, that there are replications of of things that I am doing, thinking, and being in this moment that will reverberate throughout eternity. Great men and women of faith who have, uh, are, are, the, are part of the very reason that you and I are able to be here with the full gospel message right here, the whole Bible, because they persevered in their moments, in the midst of persecution and difficulty and challenges to take God's word and begin to bring it together in a canon of the Bible that we hold today cherished and that they were willing to risk everything to put it into English, to write it into the German language, to write it into the languages of the world. 
men and women who are willing to carry this, this book across borders where it's illegal to have this book. My brother led a, a missions team from our church several years ago into China. And they had prepared clothing where they could tuck these Bibles in various places and hide them. Got across the borders. There was a prophecy given. Someone had seen kind of a vision of what this would look like uh, when they got there. And, and they, they were telling our team, they said, I see you guys coming up a large hill. And when you get to the top of it, there's people working in the rice fields with their, their hats on. They, they began to describe what they were seeing. And they said, they, they stand up and start applauding you. And uh, my brother went, you know, leading the team, thinking about this, but not knowing how this would, would work out. And one of their last trips uh, to deliver the last of their Bibles to a church in uh, a, a secret church there in China, they had to climb a, a huge hill. And it was, it was so uh, large and, and uh, the, the scale of it that they were wearying and, and getting tired. And it was mostly women on the team. And so... My brother flagged down some of these uh, little uh, motorcycles that were running up and down that were carrying people, and he would pay them to carry uh, the women up. And he was taking their Bibles and tucking them into his clothing, you know, empty pockets and carrying them in his arms and stuff. And, and uh, as they are all going up, soon, soon it's just him and one other guy. And, and so, of course, when they got up there, they told people what was coming. You know, Pastor Todd's coming, and... He's got the Bibles. And so the church began to gather, you know, and they were coming out of the rice fields and they began to come together excited. And so when Todd got to the top of the hill, they were applauding just like in that vision because the message had already reached them. You're bringing God's word. You're bringing God's word. These seconds that you and I are living in are so precious. Saying yes to God, fearing God, what, uh, you know, God has in store for us more than we fear what man may have in store for us. Fearing not to, to uh, you know, disappoint God in terms of mission and saying, Lord, I want to do everything with these seconds that you've given me every day. I want to invite you to stand with me. And by standing today, we're going to be saying, yes, God, to wisdom, to living in the light of eternity. Yes, we understand the brevity of life, but we understand it in the light of eternity. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're not going to be so fearful about exiting the planet uh, in, in a way that it paralyzes us to being living like the world, just moment by moment, and worried and fearful. But we're going to live in the light of, of the fact that we have an eternity ahead, and we are missions people. We are mission-minded there are those that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to live in the light of wisdom. We're going to make decisions based on eternity, not just on the moment. And that's going to make others look to us for advice and counsel. Because the wise live as if there is an eternity. The unwise live as if this moment is all there is. And so God, we, we ask you to just guide and direct and as we worship together, we're going to be saying yes to embracing your wisdom and your counsel for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.